Good morning, everyone. It's Judith A. Cope. You're listening to Mad Love. Welcome to the show. Welcome to your life. Um, some asshole decided to cut his grass at six in the morning. So I may have to uh, talk around that. I mean, I'm getting the feeling that they've never had their own home before because they do a lot of weird rookie things. And uh, I believe the home is Section 8. Someone bought it. So this neighborhood that I'm in uh, used to be working class, middle class. And now it's it's mostly really old people who never, you know, planned on moving. And then their kids may inherit the houses or, you know, um, people leave the neighborhood but didn't want to sell the house. And um, they just hold on to it and then they sell it to a company and then that company section eights the house, the home. So uh, this has been quite an adventure. Uh, There's quite a bit of crime around here. And it is just a curious situation because, um, as I've chronicled many times in this podcast, St. Louis has just done a really horrendous job of stabilizing neighborhoods, especially the ones that they redlined. This was clearly a redlined neighborhood until it wasn't. And uh, we were the first black family on the block. And, uh, you know, I remember by the time, I I mean, I remember my parents telling me we had all these white neighbors. Uh, I don't remember them. (laughs) I remember a couple of white neighbors. By the time I was able to go outside and like function and be, you know, in play, I don't remember hardly any white people. Um, They, it was white flight for real. And the neighborhood has sustained a lot of change over the years, but I mean, this is considered a low-income area, and it is—it has got low-income issues. Except, ironically, there's a country club on the corner. Yep, people don't think about it, but uh, this is a country club community, and that's St. Louis. They do weird shit like that. Like there's country clubs and and the first golf course instead of making this huge. So finally, Jack Nicholas is going to redesign the first uh, golf course west of the Mississippi. It's called Normandy Golf Course. It's right up, uh, you know, like five minutes from my house. And uh, finally, that's a free golf course. So there you can see they're like fixing the street all around it. You know, property values are going up and it's like, oh, okay. St. Louis is so strange. So you've got all these, there's like one country club across from me. There's one about, I don't know, 10 minutes north. 10 is being generous, maybe eight minutes north of me. There's a country club very close to Ferguson, very close to Ferguson. And uh, uh, nobody in Emerson Electric and nobody tore up the country club, you know, and the country club didn't do anything to secure the neighborhood, I don't think, unless they kept it to themselves. Uh, Because all of that Michael Brown rioting and stuff was right down the street from that, like literally on the same street. So St. Louis is a dichotomy. And this is where people get frustrated because there are a lot of people in Ferguson. Here's this asshole with this lawnmower. So there are a lot of people in Ferguson who have these old historic homes that are lovely and worth a lot of money and they never moved. They go to the farmer's market. They live their best lives. And then you've got the the low income, which wasn't always that low, you know, Canfield, uh, where Michael Brown was killed. I remember when my sister and her friends were getting their first apartments, it was over in places like that. And then, you know, it just changed. 
uh, as incomes drop, the value system changes. And I guess it's impolite to talk about it, but that's, I mean, there's just a completely different way of viewing the world. Um, and there's a little bit of disregard for um, the law <laughs> and, and, and like this, your neighbors, you know, he's just out here mowing his lawn. What if people are still asleep at six o'clock? I'm not. But I tell you what, if I were, I would be furious and I would call the police on him. Yes, I would. But I happen to be up. So anyway, you know, you got to pick your battles. I'll be furious about something else. <laughs> so anyway, I was thinking, um, you know, I watch The Office all the time. I love The Office. And as diverse as the cast was, they never really had any good representation of a black female. And then I started to think if that if that writing staff couldn't tackle a black female, you know, what office never has a black female worker, you know, Um and they and that was a good cast. I mean, they had multiple uh, varieties of different races, but they could not figure out a black woman. And I, I don't know if if, you know, Kelly Kapoor was supposed to be the only woman of color, like, but that's not the same as having a black woman. Kelly's Indian. So anyway, I started thinking, is there anyone more underrepresented and misunderstood than the black woman in American society? I mean, and, and I'm not, I'm not talking, I mean, because we come in a wide variety, you know, I get it. You got Michelle Obama type of black woman, and then you got like the angry Walgreens worker who would rather not get your order right and would rather be anywhere else in the world <laughs> than checking you out of Walgreens. Um, but I mean, we're no different than any other ethnic group. We come in a wide variety of personalities and dispositions. Um, but it's just, I, I don't think there's anybody that's less um, understood or, like I said, underrepresented than the, than the black woman, you know. And quietly, we've started to make a lot of ground politically, certainly here locally. But because um, we're we're higher educated, we continue our education. Thirty years ago, when I started college, uh, everybody kept saying, um, you know, yeah, it's it's eight girls at Howard at that time. It was like eight girls to every boy and that there were more girls in college or there were more boys in prison than there were in college. And it was like, you know, those were just numbers. But now you look at it and you're like, oh, my God, as the statistics play out, you know, I wonder who these young girls are going to marry, especially with the crime rate being what it is. As, you know, young black men continue to kill other young black men, you you lose two, one to the system and one to the grave. And it's just, you know, it's just heart wrenching. And you got all these these girls who are hanging on to these boys who are going to jail or dealing drugs and putting their lives in jeopardy or um, they're in abusive situations. And it's like, I don't know. When I was growing up, I wanted a Theo Huxtable. In fact, I knew more Theo Huxtables than any other type of dude. You see what I'm saying? And now it's like people would think Theo was corny. And I thought he was a little corny, but <laughs> he that was what I was used to. Someone who was a aspiring to something want to go to school and listen I get it I'm generalizing here 
But I think this hip hop culture has betrayed us and it has especially betrayed black women. And I think, you know, and we listen to it just as much as the boys do. I mean, I don't. I can't listen to that. But I like Drake. And, like, that's it. (laughs) I like Drake and Big Sean and, you know, but all the rest of my favorite rappers are old. Like Jay-Z and LL and I listen to old Run DMC. I listen to old hip-hop. But, yeah, I mean... It's just, I feel like nobody's been betrayed more by this culture, uh, and they like to call it the culture, than uh, black women. I mean, they've been seduced by this idea that, you know, uh, black, young black men are just victims, and they're, they're, you know, they have to sell these drugs, and I have to stand by them when they go to jail. I have to stand by them, you know, uh, while I'm pregnant and two other girls are also pregnant at the same time. I mean, uh, that whole culture right there, if you could keep your uh, black boy or girl out of that mind frame, you've done a yeoman's effort because i see it every day people are just super seduced by this this thought pattern and um you know cooking drugs up and having all this sex with everybody and the sad part is you know when you fall in love with that kind of culture it's really hard to think about it but the fact is we all every girl and woman learns the hardest of ways that just because he wanted to have sex with you didn't mean he loved you. It didn't mean he had value <laughs> on you and your relationship. And it is a tough, tough lesson. And you don't want to learn it after four kids. You know what I mean? Like you're asking, f- and if you don't have any money when you start having kids, you really, you're just signing up for a life of poverty. Uh, America costs money. And that's why people hate it. If you don't like America, it's because you haven't figured out how to have a good life here. And that I think that's, you know, and you can say it's racism and you can say all of those things are just symptoms. Like the other day I was reading, uh, and this really resonated with me. My blood pressure had been reading high and I didn't understand why. I hadn't really done much different. I was doing keto and I'm like, why is my blood pressure so high? And then I started doing a little research and they were I've, I, from doctors I trust. Oh, I wasn't just on YouTube, <laughs> like watching, um, you know, non-credible people. But one of the things I was watching and he put it in a way I never heard before, which is high blood pressure is a symptom. It's not something you're supposed to just um, say, oh, I have it. Oh, it's hereditary. And now I'm walking around with high blood pressure. It is actually the symptom of something so you have to figure out what the cause is and for me it has to be insulin resistance it has to be because there was nothing else that really fit and I was like see this is what I like there the democratization of knowledge is out here so I was like oh it's a symptom high blood pressure is a symptom I've never heard that before you know what I mean so like all this this uh, frustration with um Racism and all these th- phrases everybody come defund police and you know uh, mass incarcerate all this stuff that people start labeling and giving all these catchphrases to uh, those are just symptoms and most of the time you're just frustrated because you're not living the life you want and you can't figure out how to do that uh, 
And so it has to be all these different reasons. And maybe they're all true. Maybe they're all, let's say, 100% across the board. Whatever reason you, you say it is, that's what it is. But that's not a solution. We just need to start focusing on solutions. So I started addressing insulin resistance. And I'll tell you what, my blood pressure is perfect. And I didn't have to increase medication. In fact, the next doctor I get, I'm going to have to start talking about decreasing it. So I'm just saying addressing the symptoms is not enough. You got to get to the cause. And I mean, America just does not understand the black woman. And we're complicated, but we're not. And uh, I think our our fatal flaw is uh, our heart and our love and who we stay loyal to when they're not loyal back to us. You know, sometimes I'm I'm out here doing my strong black woman impersonation and it's it's working, you know, but you know, there are times where I'm just as vulnerable, just as tired, just as frustrated, just as overwhelmed as everybody else. But, you know, you never really feel like you have a shoulder to cry on because, you know, you're a strong black woman. You got to hold it together for everybody. And, uh, you know, the number one cause of death in all women is heart attack, heart, cardiac shit. So guess what that means? Most women die of broken hearts. That makes me sad. Don't be that. You don't have to be so strong for everybody that you, you know, you're not vulnerable. And you, yeah, but that's how we get sick. That's how we get run down. And then for some of us, we got all these families that we're, we're holding it down. We're the mother, the father, the aunties, the uncles, the grandparents, we're everything, you know? And, um, it's just crazy. It's a lot to ask of one person or one group of people. You know, and like I said, this all started because I was watching The Office and I'm like, you know what? And all their genius and brilliance. And it is a brilliant show. It is funny. I can watch this show. I've seen each episode, gosh, probably getting up to 20 times now. And I see something new every time I watch it. It was so clever and so well done. And if that show can't figure out how to add a black female to the cast on a regular basis, that is letting you know we are a misunderstood bunch. And, uh, yeah. So I thought about that. And the other thing I was thinking about, I had a, a Jewish boss when I was at WashU. He was great. Good boss. And, uh, yeah, I worked at WashU and, uh, for a long time. And, uh, what was interesting about him and I learned this and this is, I'm going to tie it back in. You'll see. So he, his niece got married and I don't know what amount they were giving, but, he was like, oh, yeah, we're going to all give her cash, the whole family, right? So I'm not sure the details, but I know that by the end of the wedding, her and her husband left with like 30 grand. Everybody gave them cash. And so I remember sharing that with my family and, you know, some distant cousin was like, that just seems rude. I was like, rude? Yeah, why, you know, I said you would rather give somebody a toaster or some glasses that they can go buy themselves <laughs> than $200 or $50 or, you know, she was like, that's just rude. I don't understand why people would do that. I think this is also the same cousin when I was uh, thinking about selling life insurance. I was like, don't you want to secure the future for your kids? Nobody secured it for me. They'll figure it out. And I thought that resonated with me. That was like a five second conversation like many many years ago and it really stuck with me 
And I think that's a big crux of culturally why black people struggle with finances. It's because we think it's rude to talk about it. We think it's rude to give people cash. Listen, it's not rude to give me cash. If you want to sponsor this podcast or send me some money on the cash app or whatever, I will take your money. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, I don't understand that. Who wouldn't want a down payment for a house? Like, well, you could, And their parents actually could afford to pay for the wedding. So they just straight get the cash, you know, so they don't start off their marriage with a burden of finances. And maybe we shouldn't have flashy weddings. If you can't afford all of that, then have go to the Justice of the Peace and have a nice party at your house and collect cash and pay for that and go buy your house or pay your house off or do something. But, you know, when you're graduating from college now and you don't come from a family of means and you have to help pay for your own wedding and you have to uh, you got student loan debts, you're paying for your own weddings, you want to buy a house. I mean, it's easy, easy peasy to get stuck because you're trying to keep up with some tradition that you can't afford. And then that's that's a middle class problem. Then you got people who you know, don't have a lot of means in the first place. And they start having kids at 15, 16, 17. And I'm not judging anybody. You do what you do. However, that is not a long-term financially successful plan. You know, and people get older, you know, no matter what your situation is, if you got to take care of a parent and then you got to take care of your kids, then you got maybe a spouse gets sick, like all this stuff, you know, we just need to rethink how we live our lives, I think especially black folks, because I'm telling you, that is not the first and the only conversation I've had where people are like, "Mm, isn't that rude? No, it's not. Cash is good. And we live in a capitalistic society. And instead of wondering if that's what people want, then give them that. Give people a chance, an opportunity to have a real life. And we need to rethink our relationship with money. And we need to rethink how we treat the strong black woman, you know, People, people don't always need a handout. Sometimes people need a hand up. And maybe that is just you know, like, hey, you need to change your life. I do have another cousin, younger, younger cousin, my first cousin's daughter. I remember she walked into a party, you know, and our backgrounds were were pretty different. And I get it. And I'm much older, about 25 years older than her. And she walked in a family party talking. She was saying something. She, I have been in a car accident. And blah, blah, and then we were out at this club. And she was talking. And I just looked her in her face. And I was like, you need to change your life. And I walked away. <laughs> and what's funny is she actually came back some months later. She was like, I listened to what you said. And I changed my life. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Good. As long as you're happy. But you that, that story you was telling that one time was terrible. And, um, you know, yeah, you just needed to make that change. Like Michael Jackson, look in the mirror and make that change. All right. That's it. That was a lot for Monday. And that asshole was mowing his yard. So whatever. All right. <laughs> I hope you have an amazing day. And if you are a woman of color, don't walk around doing your strong black woman impersonation all the time. It's okay. I got you. I understand you. I know what's going on. And if you look in that boat, I'm right behind you. And that's for all women, really. We hold it all together. And uh, it's hard. Sometimes it's just legitimately hard. And we endure some fucked up shit. And it just seems like the world uh, is none the wiser. They just have no idea how to deal with us. But that's all right. I got away. I'll show them. 
All right. Have a wonderful Monday, everybody. Be well, be safe, be productive, and as always, be your best.